Now, what does Dick Bramer do when he actually maybe has a handful of hours to himself? Does he does he craft things? Does he put a line in the water? Does he does he read his book? <laughs> well, he's, he's written it, so he doesn't have to maybe read that. What does Dick Bramer do uh, during the All-Star break? I'm glad we have Dick Bramer joining us now. Here, Jack Michaels, Derek Hansen. Dick, uh, tell the fans, what does the great Dick Bramer do when he has a couple of hours off? Well, uh, in this case, we've got a few days during the All-Star break, and you try to get away from the game, but I do enjoy watching the All-Star game. And Yesterday, I just went out for a boat ride, and I saw a family of loons, and uh, the little ones were about 15 lengths, I suppose, behind the uh, parents, and so I thought, well, that's about how far behind we are from the White Sox, so you can't, you <laughs> can't get right. away from it completely. <laughs> so, yeah. Were there 15 loons in front of the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the parents? That's, that's what it was. Did you take in the, first of all, your thoughts on the home run derby? Does it still, uh, you know, grab your attention? Uh, and secondly, uh, if, if so, were you impressed? Yeah, I, it, it's never grabbed my attention. Uh, I, I remember, and I think I know why, uh, I went to the All-Star game just as a spectator with some friends uh, in San Diego in 1992. And Mark McGuire was in the home run hitting contest, and he hit uh, eight uh, home runs in a row, eight swings, eight home runs. And I was really impressed, and then we came to learn you know, how McGuire was able to hit eight right. home runs on eight swings. And so... Um, just the whole concept is, is kind of passed me by, but I did watch more of it last night than I have in years, uh, uh because, uh, once I found out Trey Mancini won the first round, well, then I was pulling for him given his, uh, story of, uh, you know, a year ago dealing with colon cancer and all that and coming back to play this year and then play at the level he's played at. So I was hoping uh, he might win the uh, home run derby, but uh, that didn't happen. I have one more quick one for Dick, because today, just for old nostalgic sake, Dick, I was YouTubing or Googling or trying to find the old home run derby. You know, like, two away, three outs. Yeah. You know, and then it was always like Mickey Mantle. Oh, Harmon Killebrew really was huge in that. Harmon Killebrew, Calavito. That was, uh, you know, it's black and white. It was, I think they hailed it out in L.A., right, Dick? I believe that that the old home run derby was, I love looking at that old vintage footage uh, of that stuff. Yeah, as I recall, uh, when Harmon and I would discuss that, because I have faint memories of that, but I, I do remember the show. Uh, they taped them in uh, the fall after the World Series out in Los Angeles at a really small ball field called Wrigley Field in Los Angeles. And uh, they would just like tape them all in one day and, uh, and you know, stretch them out over the course of however many weeks. But yeah, it was great. It was, you know, uh, Willie Mays and Armin Killerue, Eddie Matthews and, mm. uh, you know, Hank Aaron, whatever. And, and uh, you know, the, the host uh, was not the most original uh, <laughs> uh, thinker in the world, I don't think. Uh, and I think the show ended when he tragically died in a car accident. But, uh, that's a little more backstory right. than, than, than you need to know. But I do remember the show and it was interesting because it was, you know, two of the best home run hitters of that era squaring off, uh, with a limited number of swings. Yeah. So I much focus on Otani and to the point where it's almost like, you know, it's like overkill, but it's hard not to get into a little bit. It, I always go with a balance in that, but no doubt he's a star that so many people are going to be talking about and certainly will have their eyes and ears on that tonight. Yeah, and I'll be curious how he does tonight, to be perfectly honest with you. He looked uh, pretty wilted after the first uh, round of the uh, home run derby, then had uh, the second round. And, you know, it's changed so much. I'm not sure how long ago they changed it. 
but now it's rapid fire. You swing, you you know get back in your stance. Here comes another one, and you try to hit as many as you can. And you know to hit a home run, you know even in this day and age, you've got to swing pretty hard. And it, it was pretty exhausting, I know, for even uh, Pete Alonso, who you know won the thing. Um, but Alonso, Trey Mancini, none of those guys are expected to pitch tonight. So I'll be curious how he does uh, both on the mound and at the plate. I'm wondering, Dick, have you ever, in the managers over the years of the Twins, have you ever had discussions with ones that really uh, didn't want their players involved in things like a home run derby because the impact it, it may have? And, and I'm, I don't know what impact, like you said, though, you're just burning a lot of energy. You're just swinging, 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 home run, home run, as opposed to your normal cage where you're doing situational hitting and then so on and so forth. Any any Twins manager you thought that said, ah, I don't want my guys involved in a home run derby? Yeah, I haven't had that conversation, but I have discussed it, of course, with Justin Morneau, who won the one at Yankee Stadium, much to the surprise of 98% of the fans who think that Josh Hamilton won yeah. uh, the home run derby <laughs> right. that year because he put up the big show in the semifinal round. And then perhaps because he was a little tired in the championship round, Justin meet him, uh, beat him in the uh, home run derby. And, you know, Justin's uh, pretty proud of that. That's a pretty big deal. And, uh, uh, so I think if a player wants to, uh, they should, uh, but you know, they've had a hard time filling that field in the past. And I don't know, 10 years ago, something like that. Uh, somebody asked Brandon Inge of the Tigers. Now, Brandon is a good player, but no one considered him to be a heavy home run hitter. And I, I don't think he even hit one out in the in- initial round, which is a little embarrassing. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you mentioned that too, with, uh, I think with that Justin Morneau one, they changed the rule because of that, right? Didn't they change the whole structure of how that went then, I think, right, for, for a little uh, while? It could be. Again, I've, I've been so inattentive yeah. uh, to it. Uh, I really don't know how they have changed the rules. I know that the very first all-star home run derby was at the Metrodome in 1985, but back then it was a team competition, and the American League beat the National League on Tom Bernanski's home run in the last round. So Bruno. Uh, it's not... Yeah, it's not uh, the way it used to be, but uh, uh, the whole concept uh, uh, different though it uh, is from uh, or was from what it is now uh, actually started uh, in 1985. One of my favorite things about the All Star Game has always been the uh, uh, announcements. I think you uh, most of us fall under that, right? And you know, as growing up, I love the fact that Kirby Puckett got cheered at every stadium that it was at. You know, because he was so popular. And is that something that you enjoy too? It's it seems like it's more of a get to know him as an old uh, Twins term had back in the good old days of uh, marketing. But that certainly is uh, something I enjoy. Yeah, and on the subject of marketing, I it it doesn't sound like much, I know, but I'm really, really disappointed that they've decided to have American League and National League All-Star uniforms. Yes. Oh. Uh, uh, you know, it, as a fan, and this goes back to, you know, the 60s, right? I I wanted to see Harmon Killebrew represent the Twins yes. in the All-Star game and wear a Twins jersey and a Twins cap. And why on earth they decided to do that this year, I have no idea. But I'm not a fan of that at all. I, I think the team's whether it's the Royals or the Yankees, uh, you're promoting those teams. When someone, Salvador Perez, shows up and he's wearing a Royals jersey to the All-Star game, that's the way it should be, uh, not just some you know, marketing uh, contraption like an all American League All-Star game jersey. I, I'm really 
really disappointed in that. Twins broadcaster Dick Brammer joining us today. A few minutes remaining with Dick. I don't expect you to know all this about the the players that the Twins drafted, Dick. Uh, you'll learn more as they move along up and down the uh, the ranks of minor league baseball. But just spitballing here with Chase Petty, who I think I read a story where this young man was was clocked at 102 with a very live arm. I'd imagine they're going to have to and control that and maybe work some some other pitches around that. But uh, boy, 102 is 102, I guess, on huh, Dick. Yeah, and he's a high school kid. And when I when I saw that they drafted him, the first thing I thought of, remember a few years ago. Twins had a chance to draft Hunter Green, who got a lot more publicity, but he was throwing 102, 103, mm-hmm. and uh, the Twins decided to take, you know, Royce uh, Lewis instead. And uh, you know, Royce has been hurt, couldn't play last year, so uh, Hunter Green blew his arm out right afterwards, had Tommy John surgery. Uh, so I just thought it interesting to hear the Twins now went ahead and drafted the high school kid who threw over 100 miles per hour when they had that chance a few years ago and passed on it. Uh, let's talk about the Twins. They go out uh, four games against the Tigers. Very exciting games. Maybe not the best play games at all of them, but very exciting. I mean, what do you think the mindset is of this club? As you mentioned, way out of first place as far as the American League Central, but at least they're playing a little better baseball. Yeah, I watched that, of course. I uh, did the games with uh, Jim Cott over the weekend, and I kept flashing back where was this team in the first half of the year? Because we saw a lot of what we saw over the weekend. We saw a lot of it in 2019 and 2020 scoring late. Uh, if they were down a run, you just kind of felt like they were going to win anyway in the seventh inning. Well, they did that in all four games against the Tigers and, you know, uh, had a history of doing that before this year. And, and this year was just the opposite. They would score early. And then by the middle innings, the lineup was pretty much shut down. So, yeah, it'll be interesting for me to see how they play in the second half. We get the Tigers uh, right away again on Friday for four games and to see whether they can sustain that and remind us how good the organization was and the team was uh, last year and the year before. And and in double headers too, you know. If I know Twins fans thinking, boy, if you could just start stringing games, kind of tough to, to to sweep double headers, isn't it, Dick? And the Twins only have one Friday in that split yeah. double header. I think they turn around, and got one Monday at in Chicago, yeah, six right? games in four days. Oof, man. Yeah, and that's not ideal. But they'll you know at least be well rested before the one on Friday, and they're each going to be seven inning uh, double headers or uh, games. Uh, uh, the double headers will be made up of seven inning games each. And uh, it's interesting, right before we went on the air, uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred on a press conference said uh, he doesn't think the seven-inning doubleheader is going to last beyond this year. And I think there are a lot of us out there who are glad for that. But it'll be a challenge for the guys to you know, have four days off. They're going to have a workout at uh, Target Field on Thursday and then fly to Detroit. And then, boom, right away, two games uh, separated. At least that one is separated by a couple hours, too. So tough way to start the second half. but. Uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of intrigue as to what the roster is going to look like uh, on August 1st after the trade deadline. So it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks for the Twins and their fans. Yeah, you say that. You know, we mentioned that uh, you want your All-Stars to be wearing their uniforms, but the two guys representing the Twins, we don't know if they'll be wearing Twins uniforms here coming up with Nelson Cruz and Taylor Rogers. That, that is going to be the interesting watch here for the next two and a half weeks. Yeah, and I think, I think, not that uh, I know anything about this or that anyone's going to ask me, but I, I think there's a much greater chance that Nelson Cruz will be traded than Taylor Rogers. I think 
the Twins, well, I know the Twins have some equity in Taylor Rogers that they don't have in Nelson Cruz. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, what's been the biggest problem for the Twins in the first half of the year? Pitching, right? So why would you trade? What, do you, what would you hope to gain if, and I know this is the case, if you hope to be competitive next year and get back, uh, you know, into a contending for a playoff spot, yeah, if that's the case, why would you trade any of the good pitching that you currently have? So I think that Jose Barrios and Taylor Rogers will both be uh, uh, here for the balance of this year. It might just be a chairman of the board uh, owners speak, but I was uh, hearing cuts from Jim Polad uh, saying that I think to paraphrase him, we're going to do everything in our power to extend and resign when referencing Jose Barrios and uh, Byron Buxton, you know, those are the, the words coming out of the front office. But again, uh, I, not not to speak for Jim Pollard, but of course you would say that. You want your fan base to understand that you are trying to do everything right. to keep these guys uh, on the club, right, Dick? I mean, that's that's what you got to well, say. Well, yeah, and just think how much news uh, was made when Josh Donaldson was on the open market and chose to come to Minnesota. The reason that was such a big deal is free agents – uh, top-line free agents like Josh was, typically don't come to Minnesota. Uh, there have been exceptions. Jack Morris, one year, right? And we all know what happened that year. But typically the Twins over the years have had a tough time getting the front-line free agents to come to Minnesota. And by the way, that includes Shohei Otani. The Twins were very aggressive in trying to get him to come to Minnesota. And of course, he went to Southern California. So if that's the case, if the top tier free agents for whatever reason are reluctant to come to minnesota then you'd better hang on to the ones you've got well said yeah and you know it's interesting too on the on the day of you know zach parisi and ryan Souter, you know being bought out you think about some of those high price high price tags you just got to wonder if this is going to be less and less right and we've talked about that many times the fact that josh donaldson was a nice signing it really hasn't worked out the way they want and i think it really does make an organization step up and Hey, should we just keep on trying to be, rebuild within? Because it gets frustrating when those high price tags don't work out. Well, and maybe the worst contract in the game. Uh, well, Chris Davis in Baltimore, maybe, but you know, Miguel Cabrera, who the Tigers are still into for two, possibly three years after this year, Ooh. and he is a shadow of what he once was. And so Detroit's going through a rebuilding phase. We know that. That rebuilding phase has been seriously crippled because of the Cabrera contract. And, uh, you know, good for Miguel Cabrera, right? Uh, somebody paid him, uh, decided to pay him uh, for 10 years or whatever, but he's not the player that he was uh, even five years ago. And they've got a long way for that contract to, to disappear. So, you know, whatever happens in free agency with, with regards to Barrios, he's a pitcher, so you're a little more skittish about those than you are position players, Buxton, you know, uh, my guess is certainly my hope is that the twins uh, would, as Jim pull that suggestion, step forward and try to get these guys signed to extensions. Donaldson, uh, 21 million uh, tw- in 21, 22 in 23, and uh, at least uh, $8 million buyout of a $16 million club option on that. So there's a lot of money tied in as yeah. Dick says to that. I have one more thing for Dick and not to put, we never put Dick on the spot because he's always a, 
good answers, but oh, I'm doing, no, I'm doing, I'm technically a day off now. No, don't put me on the spot. <laughs> no, no. It's just, it's a question about, you know, some of the strangest things you've seen in baseball, the old adage that you come to a ball game and you might see something that, that you've never seen before. I've heard you mention that quite a bit, Dick, and I was doing a ball game in, in Jackson, Tennessee this past week, and there's a man on first, and it was one of those swinging uh, you know, kind of swing bunting foul balls with a lot of English on it and masse and spin, and and the ball was headed towards the third base dugout in this, uh, you know, in this in this grass, and I think this was in maybe even Lincoln, Nebraska, and and it spins back, and it's that time dick where you're seeing a ball and like, Oof, that looks like it's gonna spin, it's been as a broadcast, and it spins back, and pops third base. Third baseman grab it and turns into a five-four-three inning inning double play where the batter that hit that <laughs> the batter that hits the ball ball dick, of course he's just waiting for another ball to be issued in play because there's no way that ball is going to be it's a foul ball and it's spun back in play and it's it's odd I've seen balls spin back fair for infield singles and but never spin back in be fielded off a bag and turn into a five-four-three double play to end an inning so I just thought I'd throw that at you Dick and I'm sure you've seen a lot of things you thought wow I don't know if I've ever seen that before. Uh, over your many, many years of broadcasting? Well, the one, as you were describing it, the one I thought of was Brian Dozier at Target Field hit one like that. Brian uh, uh, used a bat uh, that had a cuffed end, and he hit it right off the end. So there was an incredible amount of spin. Just imagine, you know, for those of us who are old enough to have had tops that we, you know, would spin on the floor <laughs> that's right. uh, as kids. I mean, that, that's what this was. And Brian thought saw it heading behind the, the first base coach's box. And then he saw the spin and it was starting to spin back into fair territory. And he had the presence of mind to run up the line and uh, got a base hit. He got an infield hit. So yeah, that <laughs> it happens every once in a while. I was surprised, frankly, that it didn't happen more often uh, at the Metrodome on the artificial turf, because uh, at least I would think it'd be a little easier to do that on artificial turf than real grass. But Brian got a base hit hitting it uh, you know, right off the very right. end of his bat. You think catching the traction in that turf would happen more often than not on those right. spinning yeah. balls. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's crazy stuff. Crazy yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tell you, there, there are so many different things that you just never think you've seen before. Of course, that that incident this year with the Cubs, uh, like like he was going back home. What was that play again? Where he was going back home, got the first, oh. and the guy, that was the craziest things I've ever seen. That was the first for Oh, me. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, first that, baseman standing there, and the runner backpedals. It was Javi Baez. Yes, he backpedaled right. toward that, home plate. And there were two outs. All he had to do was just step on the bag. It was a force play. <laughs> Not only did Baez uh, run score, but then Baez reached first, first and went on to second base on a throwing error. You know, it's like, wait a minute. If you're going to put on a big league uniform, you should know the rules. You don't have to run the runner back to home plate. I, it was, and if the first baseman had just stepped on the bag, Baez would have been out, and the runner who scored from third base wouldn't have the run wouldn't have counted because it was a force play. Hey, I don't know if this is true. Dick's a great guy to ask. Isn't there there's, there's an old folklore of baseball where a runner may or may not have touched home plate, went down, sat on the end of the dugout, Dick, and then uh, they went to try to tag him out, and knowing that he was going to get tagged out soon, started running back to home, and then there was a hot box between home plate and the dugout. Isn't there some sort of an old adage in baseball that yeah, this may or may not have happened? Yeah, 100 <laughs> years ago maybe something like that happened. I mean, there are all sorts of really weird things. I mean, uh, you know, uh, the infamous uh, Fred Merkel mistake uh, when he uh, th- thought he'd gotten a base hit to win the uh, uh, World Series game in, what was it, 1912, something like that. 
but he didn't run all the way to first base, and they ended up calling him out for, you know. Right. Uh, he hit the ball to the outfield, but he didn't touch first base, so he was out at first. <laughs> did, so. did, didn't complete the, wow. the 90 feet on that. And then I don't know when Randy Johnson, not to bring it back to loons and birds and not to be morbid about this, how long ago was it when Randy Johnson threw a pitch? Uh, 20-some years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Was that a seagull? Yeah, it was a spring training game in Arizona, I believe. And, yep. and uh, uh, I mean, it just wasn't meant to be. Uh, it wasn't the... Uh, the seagulls' uh, day, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it was not the you know, seagulls' day. That's no. the last you thing could, that seagulls. You could release. I don't know if it was a seagull or a dub, but you could release ten thousand birds <laughs> at third base and release them in, the same in front of Randy Johnson, and not one time would his ninety-nine mile per hour fastball hit the bird in flight. But it did that day. That day was a bad day. That that uh, that bird, good stuff, uh, Dick. It's always great. Uh, look, we kept Dick extra, but what the heck? Uh, put a line in the water, enjoy the All Star Game and your time off, and we'll catch you on the on the flip side. You got a lot of games in a short period of time, so have a good. Well, uh, a lot more to talk about next Tuesday, yeah, yeah, for sure. Thank you, Dick. All right, guys. Dick Bremer, the great Dick Bremer, joining us today. God, that was almost three decades ago, wasn't it's it? Ridiculous. Yes, I and mean, he's right. That 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 may never happen again, Derek. I hope so for the birds' sake. You well, know. yeah, I mean, we want to preserve. It's, I guess. Yeah, it's bad enough, you know, for the you know we got people always Bird. protesting the U.S. Bank Stadium. We don't need, you know, Bird wasn't aware that R.J. was throwing a hundred miles an hour. It was a sad deal. Wrong place, wrong time yeah. for that bird. Yeah, hey, should I not have brought that up? Well, I mean, I'm over it. Yeah, I was. I wish it was a goose because there's enough Canadian goose geese to <laughs> feed world hungry, or if you could actually eat geese. Quick, quick goose time jerky out. isn't bad, I guess. Quick, quick timeout, twelve forty-four. More of the docket coming up around the corner. It is a Tuesday edition. Red Hawks in action tonight. I tell you about the Lions All Star basketball game last night series. The Class Beers might have to kind of flip that script uh, tonight in West Fargo. We'll we'll tell you about that. Fairs going on. My gosh, it's a busy time of the year. We're back with more after this on seven forty. The fan. This is the voice.